0: Well, hey, y'all can take a seat. Uh, good morning, once again. My name is Jacob Smith. I'm the teaching pastor here for our college ministry at Grace Anderson. And man, we're just excited that you've joined us. We're excited that you're here, man. Yeah, it's just like it's it's just like one of those weeks, right? Hey, I left my clicker thing at the booth. If someone can run it up, um, man. I, I don't know about you guys, but uh, over these last few weeks, man, I've just been. I have been struggling. I've been just kind of, thank you, Michael. Um, I need more Michael in my life is really the the main issue. Um, But yeah, I mean, I've just, I felt worn out. I felt tired. Uh, It feels like there's just been kind of a number of things that have like compounded. Yesterday, my family and I, we went to go get flu shots, uh, and like Scott and White did this like drive-through flu shot thing, and we're like, okay, yeah, we'll do that. Um, I I would love to, for my children's crying and screaming, to be in an even smaller container uh, than an actual office. And so Uh, We went and got those, and man, it's one of those things where, like, I don't know, who, who, like, grew up getting flu shots? Yeah? A a bunch of you. Okay. Um, How many of you have yet, have still never gotten a flu shot in your life? Okay. Stay strong. This is my encouragement to you. (laughs) I never got a flu shot until I got married i married a, a nurse, uh, so you know naturally, I had to get into a little bit more of the inoculation uh, world and so uh, I had never gotten a flu shot up until I got married and i 'm telling you, I never got the flu before I had ever gotten the shot uh, since i 've been married i 've gotten the flu like two or three times, and almost every time I get the shot, like I get those symptoms like one of the possible side effects is that your your immune system thrashes back at the shot and so even just like I woke up this morning and I was like I'm I mean I know I'm 31 but gosh I feel it like I was just stiff and sore so man I I just want you to know I'm kind of reiterating what what Rob said during the worship time during our time I mean that that gosh I, I just know there's a number of us that are walking into this place um who are just feeling worn out I mean, it's just—it's just kind of that time of year. It's kind of that time of the se- of the semester, of the season. Um, and you know, the reality is that we should have a greater hope, right? Like you would think. Uh, that if you're a believer, if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, I mean, you'd, you'd like to think that everything would be wonderful and cheery and, and awesome at all times, right? Because what we maybe know, what we see in Scripture that hopefully you know that has that that sunk in into knowledge that you grab a hold of is that, you know, if I have my faith in Christ, what that does is it creates incredible freedom for me in my life. It, it should produce this incredible freedom. Right? this ability to choose hope over despair this this ability to choose joy over uh, you know frustration and 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 fear and shame like we, we should have the freedom to choose love over things like legalism and 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 following rules and and we should be free from these terrible terrible things like fear and failure and the demands of life and death but the reality is that in a day-to-day life we don't always feel it in the day to day, the week to week, the month to month, maybe the year to year, we don't always feel that freedom. We don't, we don't actually use the freedom that has been given to us. Much like this. Gila. no. come no. on. Just staying here, yeah. Come here. Come on. Come on. Come on, come on. Come on. Okay, okay. No. <laughs> <laughs> We're just sitting there like a dumb old dog. In an open doorway, waiting for someone to come and slide open the door that is, in fact, not even there. Right? Like, we are just sitting in frustration or fear or failure or demands or in death. And the reality is that, man, there's a better way. There's a greater choice. There's a greater freedom that's been afforded to us. And so over these next four weeks, man, what we're doing here in Anderson College is we are walking through four chapters in the book of Romans in a letter written, inspired by the Holy Spirit, written by the Apostle Paul to a church in Rome where he's laying out the fundamentals of their faith, explaining, man, what is it that you're really buying into as a follower of Jesus Christ? And as we walk through these four chapters, what I think is incredible is we see essentially the Lord push back on all these invisible, non-existent barriers that that we think control us, that we think hold us back from experiencing freedom in Christ, but in reality hold no power over us. That We are actually free from fear, that we can choose hope over hopelessness. We're free from failure. We can choose joy over self-inflicted or even others-inflicted judgment. We are free from the demands of legalism and moralism, and we can choose love over following this set law, and we're free from death. We, we can take hope in the assurance of our salvation over the anxiety that this world or our futures oftentimes heaps upon us. And I'll tell you, this is a very complex topic. Man, this is a lot that we're going to be walking through. It's a lot we're going to be unpacking. And so my encouragement to you is that you would be studying the book of Romans on your own. And one of the ways that we try to set you up to do that, one of the ways we try to set you up to succeed is we put together uh, a reading plan in the UVersion Bible app. If you've got a Bible app, this is probably one you've got on your phone or on your tablet whatever. Man, this is uh, a, a resource that we've been using over the last year and a half that, I mean, I just, I love it. I love, love, love it. And so I know it doesn't check everybody's box, but for some of us, myself included, man, having something on my phone that, that dings me at a certain time every day, man, that is so helpful, and, and having something that maybe is walking me through some thoughts and, and guiding me to specific passages, for me, that's super helpful. And I know for some of us, that's true. And so if you use the User version app, you can look up plans, you can look up Living Free or look up Grace College. Man, it's right there. We launched it today. And, and our hope is that you, as you walk through, uh, maybe as you learn with us on Sunday mornings, that you'd be walking through related passages, corresponding scriptures, and the same theme on your own day-to-day. I think it's like nine or ten day plans. I mean, because ultimately, what we have to recognize, what I want us to recognize this morning, what I think the Lord is trying to teach us, what he's been putting on my heart all week, is that we're free from fear. Because if you were with us over the last few weeks, we also walked through the first four chapters of Romans, and we looked at how, essentially, all of humanity is under the power and the penalty of sin. And yet Jesus Christ stepped out of heaven and onto earth, to bring the perfect righteous life that we could never live or produce on our own, and yet he still chose death He chose to die because in doing so, because he didn't have to, but he chose it anyway, his sacrifice then paid the penalty that we incurred for our sin and our mistakes and our failure. And so Jesus Christ, when he went into the grave, he was buried with all of the sin, all the shame, all these failures that we have that we'd amassed with all the wrath of God that was just in being poured out against unrighteousness and being poured out against sin. And yet when Jesus rose, Three days later, he says, hey, look, those things, they're done. I've conquered them. I've overcome those, those fears and those failures. I've overcome those mistakes. I've overcome that law. I've overcome that sin. I've overcome the penalty that you incurred. And so suddenly, what Paul is able to tell us in the beginning of Romans is that all of humanity has the opportunity to be justified in the eyes of God, meaning legally acquitted of all charges, because Jesus Christ came and lived and died and rose. And now we can be placed in right standing, declared right in the eyes of God. And so when he moves into chapter 5 of Romans, where we'll be today, he says, this is the effect, right? These are the results of that justification, of that right standing that you can now have. He says, one of them is that you can be free from fear. That you now in Christ are free to choose hope over hopelessness. And as he walks through Romans 5, verses 1 through 11, what we'll be in this morning, I mean, he's going to walk through essentially the main barriers that hold us back from experiencing that freedom. The fears that we have of judgment or of difficult circumstance, of struggle, the, the fear that we might have of rejection from others or from the Lord. And as we walk through Romans 5, what we'll see is Paul essentially push back on all of those fears, explaining that we have hope in our reconciliation with the Father, we have hope in our refinement through trial, and we have hope in the rejoicing that we're called to as believers. So when he starts off in Romans 5, verse 1, he's talking about the reconciliation that we have with our Father. He says, therefore, since we've been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So right here, he, right off the bat, he's saying, you now have this incredible peace with God. This Irene, And he's using this term that was in, in the Greek. It was used to the, when there were Greek translations of the Old Testament. Uh, of the original Hebrew text. It's called the Septuagint. And so in these Greek translations of Old Testament texts, what they would do is they'd had to find Greek terms that kind of matched Hebrew ideas. And so Irene—that that word, it meant peace in Greek. But man, what was so amazing was that it became more loaded as they looked back at Scripture. Because when they looked at the Hebrew term of Shalom, they said, you know what? The best translation we have is Irene." And so Irene became this incredible, powerful overwhelming peace. Because if you, if you were a Hebrew, and you talked about shalom, people knew, man, that was, that was what you greeted people. That was what you always wished upon others. You said, man, uh, sh- shalom. And this idea of, man, I, I hope that all things are right. I hope that all things are the way they should be. And so when Paul uses this Greek term to describe the peace we have with God, he's using this term, this Greek term, That's saying, man, that that all things are right. There's harmony. And interestingly, in in the Greek culture, uh, they had two forms of reconciliation, right? Because that's that's the way that we would probably describe this term now. Is that you've been reconciled. In fact, some of your translations might even say you've been reconciled with God. Because what that is, is this, this idea of restoring a relationship to the way it should be. To its original, wonderful status. Right? And in the Greek, they actually had two forms of reconciliation. One was dependent upon both parties, and the other was dependent on one person basically doing all the work. In other words, one reconciliation was mutual, and the other reconciliation was more exclusive. Right? When you uh, maybe have to reconcile, you, we've all had moments where we've needed to reconcile with other people. I know a lot of times, for me, when I was in college, I mean, it popped up with roommates. Right, the kind of one of the first times where maybe you're living with people that do not share your blood, your DNA, right? So there's no like intrinsic bond other than just like do you want to live together? Okay, I guess. Right? You have four hundred dollars a month? Yeah, okay, well then let's go. Like that's that's kind of what gets you bonded. And so suddenly you're living with this person and there is no allegiance with one another beyond that lease agreement, right? Like so suddenly you find things that that begin to issues that pop up, things that threaten to divide you. And so there's moments that you reach where man, I'm just I'm getting more and more frustrated with this person, right? You've got that roommate who just leaves junk everywhere. Right? That roommate who wakes you up at three AM, like every night. That roommate who who cries when he drops his toast on the floor, right? Oh wait, you know what? No 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 that, that's my roommate. I forgot. Uh, that's that's mine. That's my newest roommate. who just can't hold on to his <laughs> toast. <laughs> but my reconciliation, your reconciliation with your roommates in this season of life probably depends on both people, right? You, you probably need a little bit of both parties coming together and, and dealing with, d- discussing and dealing with the issues that are at hand. For me, with my roommate, it is entirely dependent on me, right, to reconcile that relationship. There's, if there's frustration or division in our relationship, that's on me. It is on me to love and initiate and forgive my roommate, regardless of his questionable poop-related choices. That is just, that's on me. And wouldn't you know, when Paul is talking about this peace, this reconciliation we have with God, over and over again in Scripture, when it talks about our reconciliation with the Lord, it is this one-sided term that is illustrating, that is, that is pointing out that God has already done the work through Jesus Christ to bring us into right relationship with himself. That Jesus Christ single-handedly moved our relationship from hostility into harmony. And that is an incredible truth. That is an incredible act of the Lord. And that is an incredible hope that we've been given. That God loved us too much to leave us alone. That he didn't wait for us to make it halfway Across the bridge, before he'd meet us there, he he ran to us through Jesus Christ. I mean, he paid the whole price, not just part of it. He didn't ask us to chip in, you know, like whatever, 20%. He didn't ask us, you know, send us his Venmo request or anything like that. He just said, you know what? I got this. And so now Paul is going to explain in verse 2 that it's through Jesus that we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of God's glory. He says, man, we no longer have to fear, in other words, the, the judgment of our God. If you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you've trusted in who he is and what he's done, Paul's saying you are now given full, perfect access to the Lord. It's, he's using this term that's literally described uh, when you would approach a king, you'd enter Into the king's chambers, he says, that's the the access that you've been given. You've been brought into this incredible, holy, righteous place, and you stand in the grace of God, meaning it is a gift that he has given to you. That's why you're here, not because of your own work or merit. And so he says, you don't need to fear the Lord's judgment. You can have hope in this glory that God has secured on your behalf, because ultimately, right? If we're afraid that our mistakes will alienate us from God, we're missing the point. This is something we'll get to more in a few weeks. But if I could do nothing to secure salvation for myself, why would I presume that there are just a few like, mystical, special little things that I could do that would somehow disrupt the plan of the Lord, that would somehow sever this adoption that he's already completed on his own merit. Who am I to presume that much power resides in my, on my behalf and in, in, in my ability? Paul says, you don't have to fear those things. You have hope in this glory. You have hope in this access. And while sin in our life does bring tension, absolutely, while sin in our life is going to create is going to uh, frustrate us. It's going to bring conviction from the Spirit. It's going to bring discipline from our Father who loves us, because that's what a loving Father does. He disciplines His children because He knows he wants, he wants what's best for them. While that sin can bring tension and discipline, the reality is that we have a God who is always ready to forgive and extend mercy. This is the assurance that Paul is talking about. This is the assurance that's described in Hebrews in telling us that we can confidently approach the throne of grace to receive mercy find grace whenever we need help. We have perfect, eternal, always-on access to the mercies, the grace, the forgiveness, the help, the strength, the power of God. And this is guaranteed to us by the Holy Spirit who Jesus Christ sends to indwell every believer as a down payment on that perfect glory that we'll enter into beyond this world. Paul's saying, You have this incredible hope in the reconciliation you've received, in the peace that you now have with God. And he's going to explain, or he's going to move right out of this into essentially, I think, one of our most common pushbacks on that concept. Because many times, maybe we feel like, maybe we know, okay, well, I have peace with God, that's great, but, but I don't feel that peace in my day to day life, right? And a lot of times, that, that peace feels disrupted by the issues and the struggles and the difficulties that I face. And so that's why Paul is going to move it directly into verse 3, talking about the hope that we have in the midst of trial because it's meant for refinement. He says this in verse 3. He says, Not only this, but we also rejoice in sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance character, and character hope. In other words, Paul's saying, look, we rejoice in the glory of God. We rejoice in the reconciliation we receive. He says, you know what? We can also still rejoice even when the circumstances are less than ideal. Why? Because right here he's laying out the truth. He says, because there's a purpose to your per- persecution, right? He says, there's a reason behind this rough patch. He says, your are suffering, your struggle, It's not random. And he's saying it's not even necessarily punishment. says, but instead, it is purposefully designed to produce something within you. That that difficulty, that that struggle, that suffering produces endurance. That endurance produces character, and and that character then produces hope. And I think this is a really key thing that we've got to grasp. This is something that I've struggled with all of my life, and I've not perfected it. But I feel like I'm better able to see it now than I was maybe when I was in school like you. And I think a lot of it has to do with just life experience. Because on some level, we all recognize, you know what? Yeah, proper struggle produces stamina, right? We see this in certain areas of life. And this is something that we've probably all learned on some level. That the right kind of struggle, that the purposeful struggle, it will actually produce stamina or endurance in my life, right? This is the thing that we know happens with muscles, Right? You don't have to be a biology or kinesiology major to know that when you're you know, walking in to your fortress of solitude, munching on your creatine nuggets and entering into beast mode, right? Like when you do this, what we all you know where we'll all be tomorrow, uh, in that moment, when you start making your sacrifices to the Temple of Iron, right? Like you are building a muscle. Through difficulty, right? Like you're lifting, you're doing those reps, you're doing these things, you're like, well, hey, you know, like you're doing those moves and those presses and whatever. Why? Because you want to break down the muscle fiber that you have and then you allow it to rest and rebuild itself into something that's even stronger than before. We know that that struggle produces stamina and over time you can run a little bit further, you can lift a little bit more, you can do, you know, whatever. You can swim a little bit farther. If you're a swimmer, ooh, right, buddy? That's great. I hate it because I'm afraid I'm going to drown, right? You can't breathe. But we know this is true of school, right? When you walk through school, you saw this year to year to year. Every year, your teachers are giving you a little bit more responsibility, like, first, you have to, like, learn the alphabet. Then you have to be able to, like, write the alphabet. Then you have to be able to, like, put the alphabet together into little words and, like, make sentences. And then you have to write a one-page paper. Then you have to write a ten-page paper. And then you get to college, and they're like, just give me, write a book. And you're like, oh, what? And you just, this is, it's a progression. Because they say, you know, I want you to slowly but surely struggle... And I'm going to push you a little bit further. I'm going to make you work a little bit harder because over time it's going to produce the stamina in you. And it's the same thing is true of our faith. That if we are not in some level, in some form of struggle and challenge and difficulty, the reality is that then we're stagnant. If you're not struggling, you're, just, you're stagnant. And God knows, he says, I'm going to intentionally stretch you and grow you. Because I want you to grow in your stamina. I want you to grow in the strength of your faith. In the solidity of your hope. This is why we always want to have next steps for all of you. As a ministry, we work, we think, we write, we create very intentionally. We want next steps for you to take part in that will stretch your faith. That's why we have things like vision trips over the winter break. The apps are due like tomorrow or something. And you can, you can go for 10 days overseas to share the gospel on a college campus where the name of Christ is simply not spoken. And why do we do that? Why do we put that together? Why do we go through all the steps and all the problems get the leaders together and do all the steps? Why do we go through that? Because we know that you need struggle to improve your faith. You need struggle to produce stamina in your life, and that in going on that trip and sharing your faith and being stretched in that way, you will be a better follower of Christ for a lifetime because you engage in that activity, because you were stretched in that way. That's why we put things together like our disciple guide that I mentioned last week. An opportunity for anyone. You don't have to be like go through an interview process or like get to be like a small group leader. We have those and those are awesome too. If, you want, if you're not in a community, man, it's never too late to jump in. But we also want to equip any single one of you. Maybe you're involved with other organizations. You're involved with other studies or this and that. Man, that's great. We want to make sure that you have opportunity through our ministry to become a disciple who makes disciples. That's why we have this handy-dandy link that takes you to a handy-dandy PDF. Something you can print off or just use on your phone. Where you walk with someone, other, a few other people, through six weeks, six meetings. And in doing so, you learn the fundamentals of our faith and you learn what it means to trust in the Lord, to trust in his word, to trust on his spirit, to make disciples who make disciples, to multiply your life and make your time here count for eternity. And it's not easy, but it's good and it's healthy because we know that the right Struggle produces stamina. Paul says this suffering is going to create endurance, and this endurance is going to lead to character, and this character is going to produce hope. He says literally these terms, he's saying there's, you're going to be pressed. right? This suffering idea is this idea of being pressed and, and given pressure. and It's going to produce this character, a term that means literally an approved, kind of tried and true foundational character. Like, this is who I am in season, out of season, day to day. Man, this is, I'm going to be firm and, and, and approved in a sense, of who I am, of what I'm doing, of where I'm headed. He says, and it's out of that character that you're going to maintain this incredible hope. Literally, the term he's using here is this joyous and confident expectation in the future. This hope is very similar to what we see throughout Scripture as biblical faith. right? Because biblical faith is not blind faith. Biblical faith... Is, is an assurance the Hebrews would say it's an assurance of things hoped for, convictions of things unseen. It's Hebrews 11. But more specifically, I, I would say you, you look at this idea of faith, this trust that we have as as Christians, as followers of Christ, and it's this idea of it's a faith that's it's rooted in the past and it creates a present confidence in my future. In other words, it's not just this like, I want to hope against hope, and like, ooh, fingers crossed. Like, faith is reasonable because you have evidence. You have things that have happened, experiences that have occurred, and you say, Man, in light of this, I am now confident in what's about to happen. And that's the hope that Paul is describing right here in Romans 5. He says, because you've seen the work of the Lord through Jesus Christ, you can now, in, in suffering, right, in hardship, you can allow that to push you towards the Lord. And in doing so, you're going to become more rooted and more stable as his child, and that's going to produce hope. In other words, take it the other direction. If you lose hope, if you lack hope, Paul is explaining that's going to be a character issue. He says, it's not just all these external difficulties that cause you to lose hope. It's an internal deficiency. He says, you are lacking something within yourself. If as a believer, as a follower of Jesus Christ, if you lose hope in these circumstances, he says, man, on some level, that is on you, because you have allowed these difficulties to push you away from the Lord instead of to him, and we do this all the time in romance, in figuring out our career path, and figuring out, uh, you know, working with family dynamics, right, relationships that pop up, if we're rejected from this organization or that leadership position, man, when we lose hope in these moments, it's in large part on us. It means that we lack the character that we should have been forming in the struggle that we've been facing. Think about it this way. Um, I recently, um, I mean, I, I just, the last few weeks, I said this a little bit at the beginning, unplanned, and I, I just, I've been in a rough spot the last few weeks. And it's not that there was like these, like, defining moments. It's not like this one event happened. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh, all, all hope is lost. But it was just sort of over a period of time, over kind of a season, an extended season, of of some difficulty, that man, I was just, I was in this spiral. I was in the spiral of frustration and anger. And and I was I was bitter towards different people. And I, I was quick to just flare up. I was quick to lose my temper with like my kids. And It was because of the fact that there was difficulty in my life, and I was using it, I was choosing to see this difficulty as justification, as a reason for me to become bitter. Because I have unmet selfish expectations. Because those expectations are not met. I am now, it is reasonable, it is right for me to get frustrated with these different people, or with these different items, or these circumstances. And in light of that, right, and I reached this point over a little bit of time where I just, I had lost hope. And I had to have a wake-up moment, like a week ago with my wife, where I was just like, man, this, this is what's been going on. And it's just the, the, the grace of God gave me clarity to see, like, man this, man, this is on me. Right, because I was choosing to use difficulty to drive me deeper and deeper within myself and deeper and deeper within my own frustrations when God has clearly said over and over again in Scripture, including in Romans 5, that that difficulty is meant to draw us out. And it's meant to drive us towards dependence, not dismay. And God says, I want you to look to me, and I want you to run to me. I was having difficulty opening the Word of God and spending time in prayer because I was bitter and frustrated. And that was the exact moment that I needed to be (laughs) opening the Word of God and in prayer but I was running from the Lord, not to him. And so because of that, I broke the proper chain. God says, my desire for you is to look to me. And if you do that, he says, I'm promising you, I will produce the endurance that you need. I'm promising you, I will build the character that you desire. I promise that I will give you the hope that you desperately, desperately need. But I need you to run to me, right? Not away. I need you to embrace this process. And that's why you have a card in your chair. Uh, This morning, and in fact, over the course of this series, uh, our hope is that as we address, kind of draw out these different concepts and these themes, our hope is that we would actually put it into practice. And so week to week, um, culminating on the last week, we're going to do something super cool, with all of them, I won't spoil it. It involves flame, uh, but we are going to use these cards for for specific reason to basically just help illustrate, hammer home the point that we have hope in Christ. And so, one of the things that we wanted to do this morning is just to begin this process. Right? There's the card should have been on your seat. There's one right next to you. There were pins like on every other seat you know some of you guys have pins. If you don't, it's okay. You can just take turns with a pin. But I would love if we would take this moment to just be honest with ourselves and with the Lord and to look at that card, to flip it over to this part that actually has a blank on it, like there's one that's just like all black ink. Don't write on that side. But there's another side that you can write and name the fear that's taken root in your heart. And you can just write, man, maybe it's, maybe it's, you don't have to be specific. No one's going to, you know, this isn't, we're not going to like then pass it to your neighbor. Like you're going to... You're gonna just like drop them in a in a basket on your way out. We're gonna again we're we're collecting them to do a thing with fire on the last week. But uh, you were they're gonna be you know destroyed uh, eventually. But uh, but you don't have to write your name or anything. Just you can it's anonymous. But I I would encourage you be honest and just write like man this is it's it's this relationship with this person. I mean I I have fear about where I'm headed in life. I have fear about uh, you know this dynamic or this. decision I have to make or this, you know, because I know that we have anxiety and fear pop up in all different aspects of our life. Maybe it's a struggle. Maybe you're like, man, I'm afraid that this is my end, that this difficulty that's about to go down or this drama that I'm embroiled in right now, I mean, this is just going to destroy me. Maybe that's it. But if you would, I would encourage you to just take a moment and be honest, essentially confess before the Lord, God, this is where I'm afraid, and then take that card and just, you know, stick it in your pocket, stick it in your leg, don't do anything with it yet. But I'll give you a minute right now to do that. So I think the question that I ask myself, and you can keep writing if you need to, but the question that I ask is, how do I stay rooted in that hope? And That's where I was literally like eight days ago. It's was like, man, how, what, well, how do I break these thought patterns? How do I get out of this despair and this frustration, this futility that I'm feeling? And Paul tells us right here at the end of this passage. He's going to explain that if we really want to stay rooted in the hope of our reconciliation, if we want to continue to hope in the midst of suffering, he says you've got to remember to do one thing. Verse 5. He says this hope won't disappoint you. Right, This hope does not disappoint why? Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. He says, this hope can remain with you. Why? Because the love of God has been poured out through the Holy Spirit. Again, he's addressing believers, right? This, this whole morning and really this whole series, it's going to be for people who have trust in Jesus Christ. I know that's not all of us, but it's a lot of us. And Paul is saying, you have this hope that's been given to you by the work of the Holy Spirit of God that indwells every believer. He says, and this love that you've experienced right, produces hope. Because while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. He says, for rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though a good person, perhaps someone um, might possibly dare to die. He says, Jesus Christ died for the ungodly. right? Not the, the people who were in the wrong. And maybe every once in a while someone would, like, die for one of their loved ones, right? So Maybe, maybe the, like, a super good person, like the hero of that Marvel film, will lay down their life for Star-Lord or someone. I don't know. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And much more than because we, now, we have now been declared righteous by his blood, we will be saved through him from God's wrath. Paul is using these escalating terms describing the state of humanity. I don't know if you caught that, but he starts off saying that we were helpless, literally the term he's saying, you were powerless. Uh, Not only that, he says, but you were also ungodly. In other words, you were neglectful. It's not that you just lacked the power to save yourself, but you didn't even really care that much about it. Then he moves on and says that we were still sinners when Christ died for us. In other words, he says, not only were you neglectful, but you were in fact, literally the term here is wicked. You loved what was wrong. You loved what was outside of the will of God, bad, sin, right? And so he says, man, if while we were still, while if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, how much more since we have been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? Paul escalates this a step further. He says, not only were you a sinner, not only were you wicked, loving things that are wrong, but in fact, you were antagonists towards God. You were antagonistic towards him in his ways. Not only did you choose these evil things because you liked them, but you in fact hated what was good. And so he uses this rabbinic principle. They love these kind of, in those days, the Hebrew scholars, they love to use these lighter than greater arguments. So they would say, you know, if, if I could pick up, uh, you know, this item, if, you know, then how much more so could I pick up that one? How, if, if this is true, then how much more so could this be true? Light and heavy. And Paul is flipping it, and he's saying, if God could save us, Reconcile, justify his enemies. How much more could he sustain his children into eternal life? It says He has already done the unthinkable. He has justified his enemies. Says, so then how much more should we hold on to the hope that as his children, he's taking care of us. That he's, he wants what's best. He so, says, so because of this, right, in light of this incredible hope, he says, we can now rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've now received this reconciliation. He's saying we can now, if we want to stay grounded in this hope, we want to stay grounded in this reconciliation, he says, what do we do? We rejoice. He says, the peace of our, of our relationship is our reason to rejoice. He says, this is reconciliation, gives us a reason to worship. That's the peace that we can maintain at all times. You know, my wife and I have been married for almost 10 years. And that means that, man, we have been through our share of ups and downs and, and, and job changes and house moves and stomach bugs and baby poops and drop toast, right? Like we've just, we've been through a lot. And over the course of that time, I'll tell you, some seasons are easier and some seasons are difficult. All seasons are wonderful, but in different ways. And so in those difficult seasons, I'll tell you, man, even though it's full of frustration, missed expectation, maybe even though there's seasons of struggle, we have always been intentional. We will always be intentional every single evening as we go to sleep to tell the other person, man, I love you. I love you. Why? Because what we want to communicate is, hey, ultimately, our hope in this moment is in the peace and the assurance of our covenant relationship. That regardless of what we've got going on, regardless of the difficulty, regardless of the frustration, regardless of the tension, the, the poor decision that I made that is affecting you, I mean, in, regardless, and we're in this till death do us part. But those are vows that we made before our friends, family, and God. So we tell each other every night, man, I love you. And it's really not, it's not that romantic, because it's not generally like eye to eye. A lot of times it's like, you say, I love you. And then it's followed by kind of a haphazard, like, arm flailing to like, just, you find a lump and you're like, love you, right? that's literally kind of how we going to sleep. Love you, Susu. I go, yeah, what is that? Okay, whatever. Like, and you just, because they're over there on the other side of our king bed, because we've been married almost 10 years. It's like, I love you, but I need space when I sleep, right? Like, that's, that's the other truth. But... I'm sidetracking. We have a hope in the relationship we've been given with our God. And in light of that, we have reason to rejoice. We have reason to worship. And what's incredible is that as we look through scripture and as we maybe walk through life, what we recognize is ultimately what I've seen for myself is that worship and worry simply cannot maintain the same space. It cannot occupy the same space. If I am rejoicing in the Lord, then I actually don't have room in my heart and mind to be anxious and to be worried. And this is what Paul is trying to communicate. That's why he lands on this charge to rejoice. He says, because you can move into something better. You, you don't have to run so fast that you forget to remember what God has done, to miss the value of God's, of worship and of, and of God's word. And so what he's communicating is he's saying, look, there's this fear in your life, and maybe it's taking a, a multi, uh, different forms. You could be afraid of judgment from the Lord because you still see the mistakes in your life. He says, but you've been reconciled, right? You have hope. He says, maybe you're afraid of struggle, uh, of difficulty. It says, but you can have hope because this is something that is purposeful from the Lord to create refinement of who you are and what you're capable of through the power of the Spirit. And maybe you're afraid that ultimately you're just going to flub it up, Right? Maybe you're afraid that the decisions that you've made, the mistakes that have occurred, says, I mean, you're afraid that on some level you're alienating yourself from the Lord. But Paul ends this time and he says, no, you've, you've got this incredible hope. You've got hope in the reconciliation. And it's a hope that you can grab a hold of because of what Christ has done. Right? Because of the blood that he spilled, because of the price that he paid, it says it's done. So we rejoice in this hope. We hold fast to this truth. We worship our God. And that's what we want to land on this morning. We want to land on rejoicing. And not just through song. Because see, the beauty is that we have opportunity to reflect as individuals. True. But I'll tell you, rejoicing really is at its best when we're in community. And so this morning, as we transition into a time of singing a few more songs and praise to our God, we actually wanted to rejoice in one other way. Uh, I I want us to take a little bit of time uh, to find someone nearby. And it can be someone that we came here with, can be someone that we're just now meeting for the very first time. Doesn't matter. But you're going to grab this person or two, doesn't matter, just however numbers work out, one or two people, and you're just going to share with them really briefly something you have to rejoice in. Right, Share with them really briefly, man, this is uh, an incredible way that I've seen the Lord move in my life or in my friend's life. Right? It's something that's personal to you. And you, don't, you can be as specific or vague as you want. You don't have to like get into all the nitty-gritty details. You want to be brief. But you just want to share really briefly. Man, this is a, a really incredible thing. And maybe you're looking at the past couple weeks and you're like, but I don't see anything in recent memory. My encouragement to you is what Paul said in Romans 5, is that even in the midst of of those storms of trouble. He says, you can always look to the gospel. So maybe that's where you're at. Maybe you just share with your partner and say, you know what? I'm just thankful that God sent Jesus Christ to be the sacrifice for my sin. Maybe that's it. But find one or two people, share very briefly with that person just kind of what you have to rejoice in, and then take a moment to pray with one another and say, God, man, we just want to thank you for what Jimmy just shared. We want to thank you for what Sarah just shared. Man, just take this moment to rejoice together and then I'll bring us back into worship here in a moment. Ready, set, go. <laughs> God, we thank you that you've given us an opportunity, Lord, to come together in community, to hear from your word, God, and to, to cling to your truth, God, to rejoice in the hope that you've given us through Jesus Christ. So, Lord, we pray that as we sing, as we stand and worship, Lord, that it would be a rejoicing that comes from the peace and the assurance and the security of a relationship with you. God, I know some of us, we're not quite there. And Lord, I ask that you'd be stirring in those hearts and and allowing your spirit to bring conviction and change to those lives. God, that you would draw those of us who are not in your family into it. That, God, that we would take that step of faith in Jesus Christ to belong to you for all of eternity. Lord, for others of us, God, I pray that we would be singing from that incredible hope. God, certain of where we're headed, certain of who you are, God, reminded of the hope that you've given us as we walk into this week of tests and trials and struggle and relationships and drama and all that mess. God, let it be a time that refines us, that builds strength, stamina, character, and hope. So Lord, use these words as an offering to yourself, what a pleasant aroma, as we sing of your glory. God, use this time, we pray this in your will, amen. Man, let's stand and sing to our God.